Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. The voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling until I need you here. And John Harlow. And that's a half past four and I'm shifting gear. When she is lonely and the longing gets too much. Hello everybody, welcome to Talking Circles. Clayton Caldwell, John Harlow from SpeedyMedia.com. We're talking all things NASCAR and it was a busy week in the news field of things. First of all, we woke up Thursday or Tuesday morning and Kurt Busch, his option had been denied by Stuart Haas Racing. What does that mean for Kurt Busch's future? Does it mean anything? Plus, NASCAR announced yesterday that they will limit Cup Series drivers in the Xfinity Series and the Truck Series even more. Seven races in Xfinity, five races in the Truck Series if these drivers have five or more years in the Cup Series. Also, we will discuss the overtime line. NASCAR announced this this afternoon a new overtime line procedure. What does it mean? How does it make any sense? What are the pros and cons? We'll break that down. And Dustin Albino from FrontStretch.com will come on and discuss his article on BK Racing, BK Racing and, and driver Greg Golding. Currently at odds. Uh, there's some stuff going on there. We'll discuss all that. And more with Dustin Albino, and if you want to join the show, it's 917-889-8280 to join the conversation. John, let's get started with Kurt Busch, Stuart Haas Racing, four-car operation. There's some questions about Danica Patrick and her future in the 10-car next season. I think a lot of people felt Kurt was solid. We know that, that uh, the extension hasn't been uh, signed there yet. He had an option for next season. It was denied this, weekend at, this week at Stuart Haas Racing. But what do you think? Does that mean that he is out at Stuart Haas Racing, or is that just technicality? What are your thoughts? I think it's a little bit of a technicality. I think um, if Kurt really wants to, he can go knock on Rick Hendrick's door and see if uh, there's room at the five car. If you think about where he's at with the 41 and look at what rides are available still to go, there isn't any ride that's as good as the 41 still available. I think it's a amount of money that Kurt Busch is not going to get next year with Monster still having time to determine whether or not they're going to renew a Stuart Haas. If Monster doesn't, that means Gene Haas is funding it out of his pocket. Kurt brought Monster Energy to Stuart Haas Racing. So that means money coming into Stuart Haas that Kurt was getting a percentage of. If I think it's just one of those things. If Monster re-signs, Kurt will get an extension as long as Monster Energy stays with Stuart Haas Racing. If Monster doesn't re-sign, Kurt Busch will stay at Stuart Haas Racing. It's just that the paycheck will go down, sort of like the extended negotiations with Brad Keselowski. Yeah, and I think Stuart Haas Racing here holds all the cards. I think they look at it and they say, okay, you know, we know the financial situation in NASCAR. Um, Sponsorship, they say, this year has been harder and harder to sell for next season. Um, And maybe teams are looking at it and saying, you know what, we'll have to take a little bit of a pay cut here 
that means the drivers will have to pay, pay, take a pay cut. Things are happening a little bit later than expected. It took until late July to get Brad Keselowski officially signed at P- Team Penske, and then we heard about the Ryan Blaney move and the, and the Paul Menard move, obviously. Um, but it took a little while for that to happen. Kurt Busch the same way. This is a premier driver, a guy who can win championship, a championship contender, a very good team, uh, and they haven't really fi- officially signed anything yet for next season. And this is August. Usually this stuff is done by June and early July, yet they're a little bit late here with this. Um, I think this is a deal of, well, we might not have to pay you as much as we did last year. There's not a whole lot of options out there. The 77 is very much up in the air. Uh, I think Rick Hendrick probably knows what he's doing with the five. He's just got to uh, cross the T's and dot the I's. And I think ultimately Kurt wants to be back at Stuart Haas Racing. I think he wants to be back with Tony Gibson. I think that relationship is very healthy. Um, they won the Daytona 500. They got off to a rough start after that. Things have sort of righted here. They've, they've run okay. Um, we've seen some speed out of the 41 here and there. I don't think they are where they need to be as far as the championship is concerned, but they're a lot closer than where they were early in the year. And like I said, um, this team, can turn, I think, can turn on and win the championship. So I don't think Kurt wants to go anywhere. I don't think Stuart Haas wants him to go anywhere. But just the financial landscape here, John, at the Cup Series, to kind of sit there and say, you know what, Kurt, we can kind of control what we want to do. We'll renegotiate a three-year contract, uh, a multi-year contract, every long you want. We'll forget about the option, and you'll be here next year. I think that's what the situation is here with Stuart Haas Racing and Kurt Busch. I think it's 100% on. Uh, Tony Gibson and Kurt Busch have meshed. I mean, whenever uh, Kurt Busch first came to Stuart Haas Racing at Daniel Kenosis, his crew chief, and um, it just didn't work out. Whenever they made the swap and gave Tony Gibson to Kurt Busch, it sort of lit a fire under Kurt Busch, and they've done well. I mean, Tony understands the way Kurt Busch talks about the car. Uh, the 41 team has been respectable. If you think about it, I was listening to Rodney Childers earlier this week on Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. He was saying Stuart Haas as a whole is not where we want to be yet. And part of that's a transition to Ford. I mean, they were, they came out of the box with uh, Kurt Busch winning the Daytona 500. They've been fast at times, but there's times they're still trying to figure out the body, um, the handling, the setups, because the Ford is much different than the Chevys they were getting out of Hendrick Motorsports, and they're building them in-house, unlike buying the chassis and everything from Hendrick Motorsports. So Stuart Haas has been a team in transition this year, but they're still running well. I mean, Harvick is in hes in the playoffs for sure. Clint Boyer's close. Kurt Busch is in the playoffs as they stand today. That's three out of your four cars, and Danik has actually been halfway decent the past four weeks, averaging a 15th place finish, which for her is um, the best she's done in her career for over a four week period. So Stuart Haas is starting to get it together. I think Kurt Busch and Tony Gibson are a great team together. And I think it's one of those things. I think monster energy has until November to determine whether or not Stuart Haas racing. And if you listen, if you saw the tweet yesterday that Stuart Haas racing put out, they said, we don't con, we don't comment on contract situations, but we fully expect Kurt, Kurt Bush to be in the number 41 in 2018. So I think it's one of those wink-nod agreements that, okay, if um, we have Monster in, you're going to get this amount of money. If we don't have Monster, you're going to get lesser amount of money. 
Oh, I agree. I think it's just, again, it comes down to the financial landscape of everything at Stuart Haas Racing. Um, you know, again, I don't think uh, Gene Haas has any issue running a full car operation next year. He's done it this year out of his pocket. I think they would like to have sponsorship on that 10 car next season. I think that's ideal, whether or not Eric Amarola, which has been the rumor on that 40, on that 10 car, um, whether or not he goes there remains still remains to be seen, whether or not Danica returns. That's also been kind of a rumor of, of, of that 10 car she could possibly return. Um, so there's a lot of stuff out there that's not signed right now. And, again, this financial landscape and everything that's going on with this sport, it just seems like things are happening later. You know, usually the Xfinity Series, you know, they do their stuff in the off season. Same thing with the Truck Series. Even the smaller teams work on their stuff in the off season or towards the tail end of the season. Uh, but these bigger teams, like Stuart Haas Racing, like Hendrick Motorsports, they usually get stuff figured out pretty pretty much in the middle of the year. Um, and the season's not nearly over yet, but we're getting close to chase time. And I don't think Kurt Busch or this 41 team wants this contract scenario hanging over their head when they come towards chase time. I think they're going to want to know what they're doing next season. And really, there's not a, like we said, there's not a whole lot of options out there. So I think this gets done. Again, it's a matter of a technicality. I think that's what it comes down to with this. Uh, there was a lot of stuff out there to, last yesterday about him not returning. I, I read a lot of a lot of interesting, let's just call it that, pieces about while well, he's out at Stuart Haas Racing, he's not going to return at all. Um, so to me, um, it just it just makes more sense for him that this, this option is denied. Now, I think Kurt probably wanted this option because it's probably a little bit more money than what he's negotiating. Um, but at the end of the day, he'll be back in a 41 car. I think that's a pretty strong possibility. Um, what else, John, about this Kurt Busch situation that kind of struck you? Do you see this team continuing the full car operation, the Stuart Haas Racing Team? Do you see them uh, continuing on with that? Gene Haas said earlier in the year he wants to do that. What are your thoughts? I missed the question. I Sorry, something popped up on the computer, and I, I drowned it out. Can you go again you're, with you're it? You're fine. Kurt uh, Gene Haas earlier in the year said he's a four car, he wants to stay as a four-car four car operation. Um, do you think he's going to do that, stay as a four-car operation here, or do you think he'll, uh, you know, with the Danica scenario kind of up in the air and a Kurt Busch scenario now up in the air, do you see that team maybe going to three cars next year? No, it's a four-car operation. Gene Haas said it. Tony Stewart said it in the, whenever they were at Eldora. Um, Stewart Haas Racing is going to be a four-car operation. Ford Performance is paying – for four cars to be under the Ford blue oval and Ford is bringing a lot of money to the table. And that's part of the reason that Clint Boyer has been able to run half the season with Haas automation. I mean, most of the season with Haas automation on his car. It's why they didn't really panic whenever nature's bakery kind of uh, went up in smoke with their sponsorship. The only fully sponsored car at uh, Stuart Haas racing is Kevin Harvick in the four. But I think, um, Kurt Busch will be fine. He will be in the 41. I know Gene Haas is going to stay with four cars. I mean, if you still look at the landscape, there's a chance Almirola can come and bring sponsorship with them. I don't think that's the way Gene Haas would want to go. I know Tony Stewart really likes Eric Almirola because he was a development driver at Joe Gibbs when Tony Stewart was there. But I really think if um, push came to shove and you ask Gene Haas, who's Wallet is determining what happens at Stuart Haas Racing. I think if you ask him, do you take Eric Almirola or do you take Kurt Busch for the right now? It may not be the sponsorship dollars, but Matt Kenseth is going to give you a chance to win races, win championships. I don't think Eric Almirola is going to do that. Yeah, 
it definitely is as far as uh, performance. I think Matt Kenseth is more of a sure bet for sure. Uh, and I listen. I'd be surprised if he goes into next year without a ride. There's still a lot of question marks surrounding his 2018 status. Obviously, we know he will not be back at Joe Gibbs Racing, um, but a lot of question marks surrounding Matt Kenseth. I think it's a good option for him in a 10 car if he can get the, if if that's an option for him. Uh, and we'll wait and see. I guess you know we'll find out. I think. Again, I think these teams are gonna you're gonna hear it by the chase here. So in the next, uh, I think in the next three weeks, four weeks, you're gonna really start to see Kurt Busch back, uh, and and what's going on with that ten car and what's going on in the seventy seven. I think all that will be solved here in the next few weeks. Um, John, there was other news this week. Um, NASCAR announced new limits for Cup Series drivers in the Xfinity and the Camping World Truck Series. The uh, before this before this year, they announced that. Um, the drivers with five or more years in the Cup Series could only run ten races in the Xfinity Series and ten races in the Truck Series. That has now got trimmed down a little bit more. Seven races in the Xfinity Series for these drivers with five or more years in Cup and five races in the Truck Series with these drivers with five or more years in Cup. Um Listen, there's been no doubt this Xfinity Series is, is a tough watch on some weekends, on these companion weekends. And I sound like a broken record because I'm sure I've said this a million times, but these racetracks now want a full weekend. They want to sell these weekends to these campers, and, and you know, look what Richmond did. Camping has become a major profit for these race car, racetracks. Richmond, $30 million renovation into their infield so they can get campers in there and make the money off of that. In the long term, they think that is a benefit for them. Pocono makes a lot of money off of that. Daytona does. You know, these big racetracks are, are at a, you know, uh, an advantage compared to the shorter tracks. Anyway, um, I think they want to sell an entire weekend for that reason. Hey, come Friday, you get you get a, a truck a cup qualifying. Saturday, you get a truck or Xfinity race. And then Sunday, you get the cup race. Uh, I think that's a major deal in this. And I think what's happened is, you know, the Xfinity Series of 20 years ago where they ran at places like Hickory and South Boston, even Milwaukee, the Milwaukee Mile, even places like uh, where they haven't run too too long ago or IRP, uh, these racetracks that now sit there and go, we don't want that TV money and that income over there to go to those smaller short tracks. We want to take that ourselves and sell it for the weekend. And what that's produced is – very lackluster Xfinity Series racing, in my opinion, because these tough guys can run it. it. They don't have to travel at all to go to these races. It's not a burden to them like it used to be 10, 15 years ago. We have 27 companion events this year in the Xfinity Series of a 33-race schedule. Uh, I just think that's too much. So this rule here is good. I still think you, you see the cup guys in there, and they might need them a little bit, uh, and it kind of makes everybody happy here, John. But what are your thoughts? Seven races for these guys in Xfinity and five races in trucks. What are your thoughts? It's uh, one of those things that you can't give a right or wrong answer to. The racing at Iowa this past weekend was phenomenal. And there wasn't a cup driver within a thousand miles because everybody was still at Pocono. The problem is nobody came to see the race. And is it a great race if nobody's there to see it? How are the tracks going to make some money, especially the Iowas that are just getting an Xfinity solo race? How are they going to make money to pay out the purses and make it worth their while? Um, 
but then again, if the cup drivers come down and take all the wins and take all the money out of it, who are you developing to be the next group of tri- I mean, next group of cup drivers? It's it's the ultimate. You can't give a correct answer. Now, the one person who didn't surprise me that was ticked off about this whole situation was Kyle Busch. Kyle Busch can win in a big wheel. He'll find a way to get that big wheel faster than your big wheel because he's just that good behind the wheel. Everybody thinks the uh, rule was put in to keep Kyle Busch from coming down and stealing the show, and I think that's part of the reason behind it because the fans always gripe and complain when Kyle Busch wins. You don't really hear that much complaining when it's Keselowski or Joey Logano or when Junior pops down and drives in one of his cars. You never hear the gripe and moan and complaining about it. You just hear it about Kyle Busch because he wins so damn much. It's the Joe Gibbs equipment. Kyle Busch is a little bit better than some of the other drivers, but Joe Gibbs equipment doesn't suck. I think that's part of the reason behind it. And Kyle Busch, he said flat out, not just him, but Kelly Earnhardt said it many, many times. Without the funding of that all-star car that they have at Junior Motorsports, they weren't going to be able to develop young drivers. And you see it because Junior has run, what, three, four races this year? Casey Kane's run one or two. I think Chase Elliott ran one or two. And Junior Motorsports isn't the developmental team it used to be. You've got one driver who's a developmental driver because Rick Hendrick signed him and William Byron. But then you've got Elliott Sadler, who has been, Justin Allgaier, who could have been, and Michael Annette, who brings a lot of sponsorship money and never was. So you don't see the young development driver coming up. Junior Motorsports used to be two, three young guys. Now it is, I mean, you, Josh Wise running through there. You've had some great young drivers go through Junior Motorsports, but um, you don't really have the way that it used to be because they can't fund the car. And Kyle Busch said flat out, if he can't drive the truck, he's not going to be able to afford the sponsorship that's going to help the young drivers come in. And if you look at what Kyle Busch Motorsports has done, he's developed Christopher Bell. He's developed William Byron. He is bringing along young drivers and helping them get to the next level. He is the feeder program for Joe Gibbs Racing. Kyle Busch can't run in the sport. He said he'll just close his team down. And there's three quality trucks that go away and empty seats for three drivers well, actually, this year, five, because you've got uh, Jeff Burton's son, uh, Harrison Burton. You've got uh, Bob Dillner's son. You've got um, I mean, there's like Marty three Snyder's or four. Son. Yeah, Marty Snyder's yeah. son. You've got three or four good young kids who are looking for that first break, and it's not happening if Kyle Busch can't drive, in the, drive his own truck. See, that's where I, I kind of differ a little bit, because to me, those kids – and. Kevin Harvick talks about this on a show. Publish Motorsports is extremely funded by Toyota. Toyota has a phenomenal driver development program. They invest a lot of money into the young drivers. We saw it with William Byron last year. Christopher Bell is another super, rising superstar. Myatt Snyder's uh, a nice young driver. Harrison Burton, you mentioned. Todd Gilland has run some races there this year. Noah Gregson's there that 
that Toyota likes a lot. So they got, I'm sure I'm missing a couple of drivers there. They got a lot of young kids, Matt Tifton at Joe Gibbs Racing, all helped be funded by Toyota. Um, Toyota and Kyle Busch Motorsports and Joe Gibbs Racing and everybody there has sort of rallied around that. And so to me, um, Kyle Busch, that doesn't change change anything with Kyle Busch running there or not in that series. Now, he's going to threaten to pull his truck series team out. I'd like to see him do that. I think Toyota sits there and goes, Kyle, listen, you know, you're the guy here. You know uh, we want to keep you in the series and they'll keep it funded there. To me, that is what that series built off. Same thing with Brad Keselowski and, and Ford. Now, Ford isn't as invested in the Brad Keselowski's team. It's more of a Team Penske operation. Um, you know, it's not like they, they sit there and it's all going to be Ford, but Ford has announced they want to invest in a driver development program <laughs> like they had in the past. We saw Ty Majeski. He's a big-time driver over there at Roush Fenway Racing. He's the next-generation driver. They want to keep uh, Daryl Bubba Wallace in the fold. They got um, a, a couple of these drivers over there at Roush. Ryan Reed, they want to keep in the fold a little bit. Uh, Cole Custer as well. So, to me, these this is what this series is all about. Um, I t- Listen, honestly, Ryan Priest going out there, getting an opportunity, to me, that's what this series should be about. It should be about a guy who has won in everything he's ever been in and is an extremely, extremely talented race car driver. To get an opportunity to go out there and very good stuff and show what he can do and win races. That's what this Xfinity series should be on. That's what this truck series should be about. It shouldn't be about, well, Kyle Busch wants to come down and run 25 races. Their brain's in and 23 of them. That's not entertaining to me. That's not entertaining to a lot of the fans. We see the attendance of the Xfinity series is very low. The ratings ain't, aren't great there. So to me, it should be a breeding ground. And again, I talked about it earlier. I think this is much different than when it was 10, 15, 20 years ago with Mark Martin going down in the 60 car and, be, and winning races because Mark Martin only had about 12 opportunities to do it. Kyle Busch has 27 opportunities without a rule, 27 opportunities to run in the Xfinity Series and win races. That's just too many in my opinion. And yes, it is a Kyle Busch rule. To answer your question, John, to, to, to kind of talk about what you were discussing, it is sort of the Kyle Busch rule. That's what this is looked at, I, and I do think it is. But, again, it's healthier for the series to me. It's more entertaining to me when you see drivers like Ryan Priest and Kyle Benjamin battling it out for a win instead of Kyle Busch and uh, Joe Logano, which I could watch on Sunday. I think one of the things that I saw somewhere somebody suggested, I want to say it's on the uh, one of the Facebook chat pages, that why not just eliminate the Xfinity series? Because the cars are, it's not much different than driving the cup car. So you actually get information coming from Saturday to Sunday to help your Sunday race out. The truck's a whole different thing. And have truck development series, have the cup series on Sunday. I mean, in reality, you look at some of the cars running in the Xfinity series. I mean, I loved Morgan Shepard in the 70s. Morgan Shepard's still out there most of the time. He'll start and park, and he'll have his vibration issue about 40 laps in. But he's coming home with a paycheck. And some of the ones are, I mean, they're darts without feathers. I mean, you know they're going to mess up. You know they're going to, I mean, look at John West Townley for how many years. How many times did he tear up his equipment and somebody else's because he was in over his head, but he had the sponsorship money from his daddy to make sure he was able to run. It's not 
who is the best racer anymore. It's who can bring money to the table. And that's something we'll talk about in a few minutes whenever we talk uh, to Dustin Albino, because it's really scary how bad it is where it's how much money you bring to the table instead of the teams going out, picking a driver, and then finding a sponsor for them. But I want to talk about something before we get to that. Like you said, uh, we'll talk about it a, a little bit later when we get to the PK Racing news from this week. I, the first thing you said there, and this is where I agree with you, is the cars are so much so similar. I think in the Xfinity Series, and maybe with the composite bodies, this will change it up a little bit because there are composite bodies coming. I know later in the year they're going to uh, experiment with that in the, in the Xfinity Series. I think there's rumors that it might come full-time in 2018. I think that would be a, a huge step in the right direction. The wheelbase is the same. Uh, these cars, I think, now are as similar as they've ever been. Uh, and you can bring a lot of stuff to Sunday. Now, uh, last year, I think they in- instituted uh, bump stops where they used to have the coil bind setups in the Xfinity Series cars forever. And, and they finally went to the, the cups, what Cup has had for the last decade and a half of bump stops. And that even, I think, distanced the field even more because you had these Cup engineers, these Cup drivers, these Cup pit crews going over there and saying, well, we know how to set up a race car with, with these bump stops, and these extremely serious teams are going, hey, this is new to us. Hold on a second. Jeremy Clements of the world, the, the J Motorsports of the world, Ryan Sieg's team, whoa, 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 this is new to us. We don't have the fancy money to, en- to engineer for engineering. Um, so it really distanced the field, I think, even more. Um, and as we get these cars closer and closer, you have to wonder, you know, there's talk even a lot of people are saying, what's the difference right now between ARCA in the K&N East series uh, or the K&N West series and stuff like that because the cars used to be so much different. Now they're all kind of looking at it and going, can you really tell the difference between an ARCA car and a K&N East car? So, listen, I agree. I think we need to get away from that. I think it's a bad thing. Uh, maybe, you know, take a little bit more horsepower, give these give these cars a little bit more weight in the Xfinity series or something. Um, I think that would be huge for this. You know, maybe even – I know this is very expensive – um, but put V6 engines in it like they used to have back in the 90s. I think that would be a step in the right direction just to change up the difference between the Cup cars and the Xfinity Series cars. I think that would be huge. Um, and that's my thoughts on that whole thing, John. Uh, another interesting topic here before we move on to BK Racing, if you want to hear Dustin Albino's coming on uh, around 1045 to discuss that from FrenchStretch.com, it should be a lot of fun. Uh, to, to talk about that, but what about the new overtime line procedure here, John, for 2017? Um, NASCAR has had the overtime line. It's, it's been an invisible line in the backstretch. not an invisible line, but they put a line in the backstretch of these racetracks, and if the leader hit it, uh, the race was over on a green-white checkered finish. Um, it came to head, you know, at Indianapolis where uh, Casey Kane, it looked like he, he was, um, wasn't at the line. Then, he, then they said he was. Um, what are your thoughts? Now they've moved it to the start-finish line. So basically, it's what we had three years ago where we had three attempts at a green-white checkered finish, and the white flag, white flag basically ended the race if, if uh, somebody spun it was over. Uh, but now we have an unlimited amount of attempts to do that. What are your thoughts on that, John? Do you like that rule? Uh, is it enough? Uh, what are the pros and cons? Does that make a lot of sense to you? I believe that you must see the white flag and whatever flag happens next ends the race. Um, they can have as many t- chances to get to the white flag, but once the white flag waves, whatever the next flag is ends the race. And I'm fine with that. If they wreck on the last lap. Okay. 
it's over. But if they're wrecking before they get to the white flag, it doesn't, it just makes it a mess. I don't like it. I want to see them race at least the one lap to straighten something out instead of um, the determination of whether or not they get to the line that nobody really, there might be a line painted on the ball in a backstretch. TV will put the line on the track to show where it is. But if you look at a couple of the ones they've had where there's been wrecks behind the leaders on the backstretch, I want to say it was twice this year where they held the caution to make sure the leader got there. I mean, Indy, it didn't matter. They could have gone back to the white flag. And no matter what with that wreck at Indy in the backstretch, it was going caution, but it was going to be too dark to even restart the race. So that was thrown out the way. You don't have to worry about that one. But there were a couple others this year where the overtime line came in play, and it was it's just stupid. We're going to run possibly half a lap to determine if we – have the race complete or not run the full lap. What's it going to hurt? Listen, I think there needs to be a limit and I've talked about this for a while. I mean, if these, at these play tracks, we could wreck, we could run until there's one car left and you have to wonder when it becomes a gimmick. Now I know in ARCA and in, I forget there might be another series. They run until they see the checkered flag. I think that's crazy. Um, because if the leader's got the lead coming off of turn four, is there, do we really need to restart two laps again and say, line them back up? Uh, to me, that's a little ridiculous. But I like the flag, white flag ending it. I think that's a good move. Again, I don't mind one and maybe even two attempts at a greenway check. And it's, I thought three was excessive. I think unlimited amount is crazy. Um, you know, but again, I, this doesn't change what happened at Indianapolis. And I think this is that's the, the race that sort of made this whole rule come about because this doesn't again, this doesn't change what happened in Indianapolis because like you said, this race that race probably ends because of darkness anyway. Um, start finish line. Now the controversy was that Kurt, that Casey Kane shouldn't have won because he didn't reach the overtime line and that was on NASCAR. You know, to me NASCAR made a very, very suspect call there. Um and to me, I don't know how the – you can't tell me what, what the fans see on TV is different than what NASCAR sees there. Uh, I know there's a delay there, some sort of delay, but at the end of the day, it's the inconsistency. And we saw it at, I think it was Texas earlier in the year, in the truck series race where it looked like Chase Briscoe was ahead of Christopher Bell coming to the start-finish line, and NASCAR said, no, what you see on the TV is wrong. To me, and that was at the start-finish line taking the white flag. So, to me, it doesn't matter what the rule is. You have to be consistent. You have to be, you know, you have to let these races sort of, you know, where the fans aren't questioning anything. And they've told you forever, you know, uh, go by the lights, go by, we go by the lights, we go by TV, we, we take a lot of the video evidence in, in, in the consideration, and yet when you see video evidence right in front of you, they say that's not the case. So to me, it comes down to inconsistency on NASCAR's part and the fact that we just need to – I just think it comes down that we need – this can't be gimmicky. And I think that is an unlimited amount of, of uh, restarts do. I don't want to hear these fans complaining who complain about the overtime line and want to see these races finish under green. I don't want to hear these fans complaining 
when we have six restarts at the at the, at the restricted play tracks. I don't want to hear it because that's when your driver is winning the whole entire race and he gets moved out of the way and it, you know, and he, and he wrecks and you're like, well, that's not fair. It was on the fourth restart. I don't want to hear it because this is what you people wanted and now it's come to fruition. So um, to me, I think it's gimmicky to have an unlimited amount, but that's the way I look at it, John. I watch um, all kind of racing. Uh, watch it all my life. Um, you go to your local, local dirt track and you see the late models run or you see the sprint cars, the world of outlaws. There are, caution laps don't count for the world of outlaws. Caution laps don't count at your local racetrack. I mean, granted, they're running 40, 50, 100 laps, but the caution laps don't count. You're going to see green flag racing. Um, it, one of my biggest pets this year is how many caution laps there are between segments. There's four or five laps most of the time that are wasted under caution after the segment's over, and they count. Hopefully next year NASCAR does away with that. At least these segments are um, what you count as your racing, not the cautions in between. Um, I, I want to see them get to the white flag. And in reality, I don't care how many times it takes them to get there. If they wind up with one car finishing the race on a restrictor plate, it shows them they need to get rid of the restrictor plate tracks because they're just playing bad anyhow. But, I mean, I think there's enough guys in there who are, and Danica, they're really good racers. They're smart. A lot of times they're not going to do that many times. I mean, after two or three times, they're even saying, okay, let's, like, not mess this up too bad. Let's get this done. Let's get it over with. They're going to run it right. And I think getting to the white flag so at least they made a lap under green to determine and give everybody a full lap to try to find a way to get where they need to go, I think that's better for the fans. It's better for the racing. Um, having a line on the back stretch, and if there's enough of a mess behind it and the time it takes NASCAR to determine it's a caution because they have to look and make sure that see if anybody need if anybody's going to drive if everybody's going to drive away from it or if they need to call out the ambulance or whatever there's a couple seconds in there where they have to make that decision and a lot of times in that couple seconds the leader is going to get past the overtime line and you're going to have the race being concluded whenever they have a chance to do it the right way i i see your point no doubt i think the overtime i'm not defending the overtime line don't get me wrong i don't think the overtime line was good uh, I think it was sort of dumb to have – it didn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, but, again, I, I get worried about the gimmick factor. I love the fact that you brought – and you brought this up, and I've been an advocate for this for a while, is not having a caution lapse to count under 10 to go. I think that would be huge. Uh, if somebody wrecks with seven laps to go, it stays seven laps to go. Uh, if somebody lap, wrecks, you know, when the leader's coming to the white, it stays one lap to go. We restart the race with one lap to go. You brought, up an, you brought up your point about the restrictor plates, and I see your point. You know, restrictor plate racing can be a mess. Indianapolis, to me, at the end of that race last week, two weeks ago, was a mess. Uh, and who knows how many times they wrecked. See, the problem now is these cars are so hard to pass, you have to get everything on these restarts. You have to get everything you can get. And at the end of these races, these, there's very little give and take. Uh, and I think the drivers will admit to that. And to me, that is where you can get into trouble. That is where... You see a lot of accidents, and that's why I'm worried about the gimmick part of this. It's just, you know, are, are we going to be are we racing, or are we having a demolition derby at the end of these things? 
And a demolition derby is entertaining and it's nice, but it's a demolition derby. It's not a race. We ran 390 laps to have six wrecks at the end, and, and the guy was running 14th, winning the race. Uh, sorry, that, that doesn't do it for me. I'm not walking out of there saying, well, that was fun. Uh, I'm walking out of there going, what in the world just happened? So to me, that is what I'm trying to avoid is just having just craziness at the end of these races. And I feel like it can happen in a lot of these, especially these shorter tracks, where it, you're so tight um, and the restarts are so crazy that you see a lot of wrecks. So I don't think it's just a restricted play track. I think it's pretty much everywhere where these overtime lines, uh, this overtime line could be an issue. 917-889-8280 if you want to join the conversation on Talking Circles. you want to talk about anything tonight uh, we talked about, you can call the show. We have Jeremy from North Carolina joining the show tonight. Jeremy, what do you want to talk about? Oh, hey, how's it going, guys? I was hoping that you uh, would touch on the BK Racing situation a little bit and the uh, Greg Galding um, uh, situation with him, you know, essentially saying that he's, you know, going uh, paycheck to paycheck with the races and he's unsure of the race team and things of that nature and was hoping you guys could maybe touch on that some. No doubt. Uh, we will, we'll definitely touch on that. Uh, we have Dustin Alpino coming on to give us a little bit more insight on the article. But And he wrote an article for com this week, a very interesting one to describe in detail, Greg Golding and BK Racing, what happened with that situation. Greg Golding started the year there in the number 23, Dr. Pepper Toyota for BK Racing. Um, he went all the way till June before it was announced, before Michigan that on Twitter that he was out of the ride. Um, it looked like the funding sort of dried up for Golding. On that car, he's been paying the race there. Was paying the race there. Now he signs himself at Premium Motorsports, running here and there for them whenever he can. Not on the entry list this weekend, I don't believe, for Watkins Glen. Um, but an interesting situation, no doubt about it, John. Um, I think it's something that a lot of racers experience nowadays because the sponsorship is so dried up. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on that? As far as this young young kid here, these young kids buying these rides over there. You know, there's a lot. He interviewed a lot of people, and again, we'll get into detail a little bit more later. A lot of people who drove for BK Racing were in similar situations where it kind of went sour on them at the end. Uh, what are your thoughts on these young kids though buying these rides and and the whole situation in, in NASCAR right now? Um, one of the things I look back on is uh, Larry Mack was filling in one week when either Pistoni or Bagley was on vacation, and they were talking about buying rides and. Larry Mack never said what team it was, but they said that he could put Brandon McReynolds into one of their cup cars for 250,000 bucks a weekend where Larry McReynolds would have to pay 250 grand a weekend to drive that car. So they could rent the motor, get the chassis, all this stuff, put it together. It was going to cost a quarter million a weekend. And Larry Mack's like, Hey, I was just a crew chief in this. I made some decent money. I work for Fox. I make some decent money. I don't have a quarter million dollars a weekend for my son to drive. And Brandon McReynolds is a pretty darn good driver. I mean, he was right there battling with Corey LaJoy when they were coming up. And Corey LaJoy has been respectable in a BK racing car. Um, there's a couple people who did drive for BK that you didn't really hear much out of in Dustin's article. You didn't hear much out of David Ruderman. You didn't hear much out of Alex Bowman about whether or not 
the finances and things went there, however it went. Mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to hear what Dustin has to say as you go forward. But I think Greg Golding, I mean, it's one of those things where it seems like it could be shady on either side. Because BK Racing, if you remember in the wintertime, their, their uh, shop was padlocked and they weren't allowed into it because they hadn't yeah. paid their bills for the, for the shop. So it's one of those ones where I think it's uh, the, the um, truth is somewhere in the middle. Greg Alding saying one thing, Ron Devine saying one thing. I think there's probably wrong on both parts. And that team has been notorious for getting rid of drivers. I mean, you think about when that team started, and I have to do research here. I think it was around 2011 when they bought the – or 2012, maybe 13, around there, where they bought the assets from, from Red Bull Racing. But you think about the drivers. You mentioned David Ruderman. They had Landon Castle there. They had Travis Buckle. They've had Ryan Truex. They've had Jeff Burton. They've had David Reagan, Matt DiBenedetto, um, uh, Cole Witten was mentioned in the article. Uh, the list goes on and on and on, and it just seems like they get rid of these. Uh, they had Clay Rogers for a little bit. It just seems like they get rid of these drivers quickly. Um, and Golden's another one in this situation. Um, so he's very impatient with drivers. He expects, uh, or, or the funding runs up, or, or there's something in the, in these contracts that are written kind of weird that these drivers don't really know about or he expects to be performing better than what he does. Um, Jeremy, what are your thoughts on BK Racing before I let you go and bring on Dustin here? Yeah, uh, you know, to be honest with you, um, I've always been a front-run motorsports guy, and, and um, you know, we had David Reagan, and then he went to BK Racing and came back. But the one thing I can say about the whole BK Racing deal is like uh, the one person said with the padlocking of the doors and stuff like that with the funding being – you know, not available to pay for things, but it just seems to me, and and I know it's uh, perception, but you know they're really turning up a lot of race cars. And last year with uh, you know Matt Denabeno, they they had some decent finishes at Bristol. You know, he finished like what third or fourth or something like that. It was very emotional after the right, race, yeah. and 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 I thought they were really turning things around. And then all of a sudden, it was like this big, you know kind of storm that hit and i thought bk racing was going to kind of start being on the up and up a little bit but now it just seems like you know to me personally i think they're going up shutting their doors for good and in the next year i mean this year they've really wrecked a lot of race cars it seems like every race they're they're tearing up cars and stuff and you know with greg galding leaving the sponsorship and the money you have to imagine it's it's going to really put some strain on the owner yeah we it's a very good point, Jeremy, and thanks so much for calling. Uh, please call in next time. It's an interesting topic, and we bring on Dustin Albino from uh, FrontStretch.com here to talk about it. Dustin, thanks for joining the show tonight. Yeah, guys, thanks for having me. Hey, no problem. Great article this week on Greg Golding and BK Racing. You put, as you put it, uh, the deal is up in smoke. Um, when did you first start hearing something about this? I mean. I think a lot of people were curious when we saw the tweet from Golding, kind of not, not sure about what happened that weekend at Michigan when Ryan Sieg was all of a sudden announced he was going to be in the car, and, and Golding was kind of surprised that he was out. Um, when did you start hearing rumblings about this whole situation between Golding and BK Racing, and what made you uh, kind of pursue it here this weekend at Pocono? Yeah, um, so just when you guys heard about it with that tweet, it was kind of, because I had talked to Golding at uh, Dover, which was actually the week before Pocono. 
So I thought everything was on good terms. He said I was going to end the year there. He was excited to be working there. But actually, this is a story that's been bigger than just poker. I've been working on this for a couple of weeks um, since New Hampshire, really. And uh, it's just it's just it's journalists' dream to get all this information. But then once you get it all, what do you do with it? You know. So it's just it's a turning of the tides in the sport, I think, because it's actually showing how the small teams operate, or some of the small teams, which you got to bring sponsorship to the table. And I don't know, that's just how it is. And if you listen to uh, Jeff Gluck's podcast, who, you know, Gluck's one of the top journalists in the sport, this last week on a social spotlight interview, he had Tommy Joe Martins. He actually mentioned that, uh, like, three-quarters of expensive drivers don't get paid. So, I don't know, it's a, it's a crazy, crazy little, you know, community that we're living in right now with NASCAR. Hey, Dustin, it's John Harlow. Uh fantastic piece of journalism i don't think there's many people who there's a lot of people who in the journalism ranks um are the nascar cheerleaders but this one's digging in and explaining some of the mess it actually is i mean i think by the end of the season you me and clayton could get five bucks together and buy the charter that's burning in the dumpster fire at homestead at the end of the race i mean at the end of the season when you look at bk I i mean you see i mean i'm sort of I mean, by reading your article, it's like almost the devil's in the middle of the details. Um, you see Greg Galding saying his piece. You have Ron Devine showing his piece. And the fact that you probably got the contract out of Ron Devine is pretty amazing because you know how cup drivers are about not even letting any – or cup owners are about not even letting details of any contract going through. They usually don't even like to say how many years it's for. But with BK Racing having their shop padlocked in the wintertime – how much is it that BK Racing is struggling? I mean, Anthony Marlowe backed out whenever he's – I mean, he's an investment guy. He's got money. And when Swan Racing went away, he went and bought 10% of BK. But he got out of it. It just seems like every time you turn around, BK is struggling for any kind of financial doings. Yeah, I mean, I think you probably are referring to uh, the part on BK Racing and Paul Witten. Yeah, thanks for the support, first of all, about the article. But I, I don't know. It's tough because I think NASCAR needs these small teams in order, in order to, you know, not survive, but go by. And, you know, by the charter. Well, that charter is quite possibly going to be a big selling point this year. I mean, you got the 12 car at Penske that's going to have to need, that need to charter. And then there's a couple other teams coming in. So it's very interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know. BK Racing obviously in the past had its, its trouble not just paying drivers, but performing on the track, and we'll see. I mean, everyone over there is nice, and I'm just I'm kind of shocked because you don't you don't hear about these drivers' contracts at all. I mean, rightfully so. But then I bring up the point like um, Tom Brady. You see how much he's making a year, and or even I mean any really sports player, public figure, you know, how much they're making in, in the sports world. Master drivers, not so much. So it's very interesting to get all that information. Let me ask you this, Dustin, and, and this is, I know this is, might be a hard question to answer, um, but, you know, we, we read your article, and there's a lot of drivers that sort of point at BK Racing and saying something stinks over there. I don't know what it is, but something stinks over there. And usually when you see drivers doing that, when you see people doing that, usually something stinks. Now, you talked to Ron Devine. You had a conversation with him. Do you think he, there's some gen, genu, uh, he's genuine as far as he just wants to run good and run a, a straight business? Or do you think there's something that's sort of 
you know, that stinks over there. Let's just put it that way. Um, what are your thoughts on the whole BK Racing thing? Because I think a lot of people, and I've read a lot of stuff online that he, he didn't pay crew members at times and stuff like that. So what are your thoughts on BK Racing as a whole? Does something stink over there, or is this a guy that's sort of had a lot of bad luck here? Yeah, I think it's more of the latter because um, I think the team has had awful luck, especially over the past, I mean, this year especially. But I think, on, you know, in the past he's had trouble with drivers and getting them to stay. And if you look at their history, he was mentioning how they have, like, 24 drivers. And this week they're in the office. That's 25 now. That's a lot of drivers for only a team of their own six years, not even six years, five and a half years. So is it something that sinks? I don't know. I mean, if you look at him, it's a lot of drivers' career. Look at Allison Bowman. He started there. Now he's going to be in the next year. Um, Matt DeVendetto, I heard someone mention him earlier. And now he's with GoFast, which, I mean, that's maybe about equal playing field as BK. But, um, yeah, I don't think anything stinks over there. It's just, I don't know. I think Landon put it best. He didn't know what he was going to himself into. When you look at um, the way the back, of the, the back of the field's going right now, and actually it used to be just the back of the field you're worrying about it. Now you look at the – we were going through the list last week of cars without full season sponsorships. The fives in trouble for sponsorship next year. The tens had sponsorship troubles as good as Clint Boyer's running the 14 this year. It's been Haas automations most of the season with a couple four, a couple mobile ones and a couple uh, rush truck centers. Um, the 12 is going to need sponsorship next year. Um, the 43 is going to possibly need sponsorship if, if Smithfield goes with Eric Almirola, if Eric Almirola is rumored to go to the 10. They're trying to find sponsorship for Bubba Wallace. Uh, the 17's always – I mean, Jack Roush is struggling to always put somebody new on Stenhouse's car. Um, Matt Kenseth was struggling for sponsorship, and Matt Kenseth is always in the top 10 in points most of the time. Is it to the point where – NASCAR needs to really relook at the model, the business model, because they're trying to get $20, $30 million in sponsorship for each car, but then Monster Energy is in a two-year, $20 million a year deal to sponsor the entire series. Yeah, I mean, that's a good question, and I don't think I have the answer for it, but you're right when you mentioned the Monster Energy thing, and who knows if they're even going to re-sign it. It's just kind of a business model nowadays, and it's tough because when you look at um, my mom, let's take my mom, for instance. She, she's a big NASCAR fan, and, but like in the early 2000s, every car, you, you, you knew who drove which car which week because they had the same paint scheme every week because they had the same sponsor most weeks. Um, you just don't see that nowadays. It takes three, four, five primary sponsors just to get through the year. I mean, even, even Dell Jr., he's got two. He's got Nationwide and Exalta. I mean... It's a tough, it's a tough business, and it's hard to compete. And in order to be competitive, you need money. And a lot of these teams at the lower end don't get, don't have a lot of money. But in the end, their goal is to profit, and a lot of them do profit, which is why they run towards the back of the field. Yeah, no, listen, there's no doubt, money is a big, big time deal. We're talking, talking to Dustin Albino from FrenchJets.com about his BK Racing article this weekend. Uh, go to FrenchJets.com if you want to see it. It's called Gray Galling. BK Racing, deal up in smoke how their futures impact NASCAR. A um, couple more questions here before we let you go. 
Mine is about BK. Uh, again, I'm going to bring it back to BK Racing. Do you think this team, and listen, I think Ron Devine's eye for talent isn't too bad. Honestly, I think you brought it up. Matthew Benedetto, that was, you know, they sort of saved his career. That was a great hire. Benedetto is a good driver who sort of slipped through the cracks there at Joe Gibbs Racing. He was a development driver there. Uh, David Reagan, I think, was a decent hire for them. Uh, you know, Cole Witt's a good driver. I think Stephen Light, even a former Rookie of the Year, who we hired this weekend at Pocono, is good. Ryan Sieg's a good driver. He's giving these kids shots this weekend and next weekend. He's got Brett Moffitt, who, again, kind of slipped through the cracks there, got kind of a raw deal this this year at Red Horse Racing. So he's not a bad guy for talent, as a spotting talent is concerned. Um, my question to you is, do you see this team competing past next this season? There's a lot of talk. Uh, I, I, there was a rumor on social media the team was going to shut down after Indianapolis. Now it looks like they're going to run at least through Darlington. Do you see this team competing? Is Ron Devine committed for this team long-term? What are your thoughts? Well, that's a tough question as well. I think he's definitely committed, but I mean – you, like you, someone mentioned earlier how they have a lot of wrecked equipment this year. And that's that's true. I mean, it happened mostly at the beginning of the year. Um, I was talking to Ron, and he mentioned how – you didn't mention Corey with Joe. I think Corey with Joe is a good shoe as well, um, good driver. But, uh, like, the first three or four races, he had – you know, he wrecked out of every race, or he got in a, in a wreck accident every race. And then he went, like, 11 straight weeks without one. Um so do I think they're going to be back next year? That's a really tough question. If I had to guess, I would say they'd sell their charter and run an open car. But that's just speculation. I really have no idea um, at this point. It's something that will be interesting going down the, down the stretch of the season because, like, you, like I mentioned earlier, Blaney and the 12 is going to need a, you know, a charter. And then there's a couple other teams that are going to need a charter. Um, yeah, so I, I think they'll be around. I think Devine is definitely committed to this team. But we'll just have to see how it all shakes out. It, it's definitely interesting because a lot of these smaller teams, you know, they're they're not run on a week-to-week basis, but they're run – you never know what you're going to get out of them. And I think with this smaller team, it, it'll be interesting to see how, how they operate going into the future. Dustin, um, one of the things I was wondering is Greg Golding's now – going over to premium motorsports with sort of the same deal with the um, they're going to commit to sponsorship and all that good stuff to try to get themselves through. Have you talked to the owners at premium racing uh, premium motorsports about if they're gun shy about this after Ron Devine has pretty much come out and said, Hey, he owes us about $1.3 million to compete, complete the year of sponsorship that he signed up for. And then, uh, a second question is: You look down the road. Um, do you see a big headache coming up again when Ron Devine, if he does sell his charter, how much? I mean, one of the things would be really nice to see is how much of a difference it is between the payday window if you have a charter to the payday window for the open teams, and that that's one of the things that's still out there that nobody really knows about. Yeah, um, I'll address the first question first. Um, yeah, I mean, Jay Roberts is really happy to have Greg. He thinks he's going to be a good driver. I have talked to Jay quite a bit about uh, Greg. As far as the sponsorship goes, I mean, on the record, uh, Jay told me that he doesn't exactly – if a driver comes in and they want to ride, 
and they don't have sponsorship, they're really not going to get a shot with premium because he runs it as a business. He's not trying to lose money. And um, so Gray mentioned to me he, he thought or he thinks he's going to be there the rest of the year, and he even told me possibly next year. Um, clearly he's not entered in the Watkins Run race this weekend. So that, that's interesting. But, um, yeah, I don't know. The Goldings, they, they obviously owe divine money, or so I found out. Um, but if it causes a headache, I don't know. And what was your second question again? Um, what do you th- I mean, or do you think we'll ever find out, or has Ron talked to you about the difference between how much you make having a charter compared to how much you make as a open team? Well, he hasn't talked to me, neither has Jay talked to me about that, but um, it's definitely very risky to run an open team because you don't have any guarantees. Of forty-two cars, forty even with a track, and you're, you know you're the smallest car doing a charter. You're kind of out of luck. And uh, so I don't know. I it definitely makes an impact having a charter for sure, especially for the smaller teams. But when you look at it and you look at the business model that these small teams operate under, I, is that money? I think getting a couple million dollars is probably worth selling a charter. But I still think you mean Clayton can put five bucks each in and buy a charter by the time it's done. Um, <laughs> and hanging around the garage area, have you heard anything about possibly GMS coming to Cup? I have. Um, that's a rumor. If I had to uh, guess right now if they would be in Cup next year, I would say yes. Interesting. And, and that's another team, again, charters are uh, out there, and that's a team that's going to need at least two. It, from what it sounds like. Dustin, thanks so much for coming on tonight. Great piece, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, yeah, guys, thanks for having me on. No Very much appreciated, Dustin. Uh, Dustin awesome. Albino from frontstretch.com. And real quick, we'll go to uh, – I'm sorry. Um, John, what were your final thoughts, John, on the BK Racing situation um, and everything over there? Uh sounds like, you know, it, it's sort of – he said, she said kind of deal. What are your whole thoughts on that? I think one of the things where I think Dustin cracked the code that very few ever have is Ron Devine laid out the financials and showed him a contract. And that's very rarely ever done. And that's great journalism on Dustin's part to get his hands on that contract. I think, again, it's a little bit in the middle. I think probably Ron Devine was expecting more than Greg Golding could deliver and Greg Alding couldn't get to where he wanted to. I think Ron Devine asking for $2 bucks out of a 19-year-old kid and his dad who say we could pull off this sponsorship, I think part of it's wishful thinking on Ron Devine's part, and part of it was a snow job a little bit from the Greg Alding part. So, again, the, devil, the details are somewhere in the middle. I think both of them have faults in this. Uh, it's sad that it's come to this, and – Let's hope Jay Robinson and his folks don't have the same headache whenever he goes to the premium motorsports group. Yeah, listen, I, we ran out of time. I wish I could have asked him, but I was curious to whether or not this whole thing was a little bit performance-based because I think the 23s performed exceptionally well with Corey LaJoy in it, and it wasn't running that great with Greg Galding in it. Now, they changed engines from where they were a year ago compared to what Reagan and Deep Benedetto had, um, so that might have changed the game up a little bit. But still, I think it was a little bit performance-based as well. Um, I want to thank Dustin Albino from com for joining the show tonight. Uh, we'll be back here next week after Watkins Glen, a road course rate, rate, 
race this weekend uh, opens up another uh, scenario where a driver who hasn't won could very well win and lock themselves into the playoffs and give us 14 different winners for the year. That'd be wild. So stay tuned for that show. On ding, ding, Sunday. ding. Ding, ding, ding. Right. We'll see you next week on Talking Circles. Goodbye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.